Welcome in to 2023 Softball Media Days on the Out of the Box Podcast. We are so glad to be back. We are honored to be doing this event again. This is the fourth year that we've got everybody from the SEC and the second year that we have filled the quote-unquote Vanderbilt slot. And, you know, next year we'll have a couple more teams, but more on that later. Gray Robertson, Tom Canterbury. Tom, we have done it yet again. Thanks to all the coaches for agreeing. Mm. I got to say this, probably the quickest we've gotten pretty much everything done. And it was it was a great year of chatting with all the coaches across the conference. It's been really fetch. Oh, wait, no, we're not doing that podcast. Different pod. Oh, sorry. Different me. pod. Right, yeah. Stop trying to make that happen. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're right. It's been uh, great to talk with everybody. And it was it's as though people are now just waiting on, on the email because they know it's coming. Right. And they... they they put us on the calendar and get us in there. So it's been uh, great talking with everybody. And uh, as usual, coaches really upfront and are, you know, giving us a lot of good info. You know, it's, it is really funny to your point about waiting for the email. There is a lot of crossover between softball and volleyball SID wise. And I did see multiple SIDs this year who would say, oh yeah, you know, I'll, I'll be waiting. Like I'm expecting to, to hear from you soon. Yeah. And uh, they would respond in kind. And we certainly do appreciate that. We appreciate all the coaches, but of course all the SIDs who we go through to, to make sure all of this happens. And with that, everyone's honesty and openness and willingness to join us, uh, this podcast event would not happen. Yes, the unsung heroes, the SIDs, as mm. SID extraordinaire Nathan Sheehan would surely uh, agree with. Somewhere Nathan Sheehan is bowing, I guess. <laughs> right. Tipping his own cap. Yes, and he deserves it. Yes. Folks, this is our fourth That's year. That's why he's so thirsty all the time. <laughs> That's right. We, we were going out. Lots of, yes, lots of... <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I have no comeback. We'll just move on uh, <laughs> for for beer or things of that. Nature. Of course, indeed. So this is our fourth time doing softball media days. By now, you know the drill. We've come up with four days of content. Will it expand with the conference in the future? TBD. We'll discuss that on the final day. But can you imagine a five six day softball media days? I mean, podcast. Like I don't really know how else we'll do it besides <laughs> four a day, which sounds like a drastically long. Right. two weeks but i don't know we'll see yeah yeah and, and this year the order was not really determined by the usual things because we got everybody in fairly quickly and everybody is pretty long i'm not gonna lie to y'all there are some long interviews in here because the coaches uh, frankly have gotten comfortable with us enough to where we will spend some time joking and telling stories and just frankly chatting it up so there are going to be some longer interviews There are going to be some shorter interviews. We kind of put things together more thematically with broad questions about the teams on those days in mind. And I think that that will lead to a very interesting two weeks and four episodes. Yeah. Cause we get a lot of discussion, not just about everyone's own team, a lot of discussion about the, the Southeastern conference as a whole and the nation as a whole, where we stand softball wise, in the ever-changing landscape that is college athletics right now. So it, it was a lot of really interesting and um, thoughtful answers. Yeah. Uh, not just about everyone's own team, but about the sport in general. Really quickly, let's go over the schedule. You've probably seen it on Twitter, at outofthebox underscore pod, on the, the Twix, Twitter X. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, yes, Who's to say? Yeah. Uh, so this is the first episode, November 28th. We've got Kentucky, South Carolina, and Tennessee. On Friday... 
day two will be released. That is Arkansas, Missouri, Mississippi State, and Northwestern State, our mystery 14th team, the Lady Demons of Northwestern State. Excited to have them be a part of Media Days. Then December 5th, Florida, Georgia, natural pairing there for mm-hmm. reasons we'll get to, <laughs> LSU and Texas A&M. And then finally, in the Anchor Day on December 8th, the usual leadoff spot for Patrick Murphy in Alabama. We've also got Auburn and Ole Miss on those days. And then the fall ball special, we will have all the Alabama fall ball stats. You ask, I answer, but on the podcast. So that's why we keep them to ourselves in the notebooks. And we'll do a mailbag as well. And a yearly tradition are way too early, in no particular order, preseason SEC top fives. Great. Just five teams that we will take a shot in the dark about. <laughs> and, you know, and because of that, we have some, if you go back historically, we have some really good shots on yeah. those and some pretty big misses mm-hmm. at times. And, uh, but, you know, it, that's kind of the nature of the conference and of the sport. But, you know, when you're... it's also the nature of doing picks three months in sure. advance. Yeah, yeah, a lot is happening and a lot will happen before the first pitch is thrown in February. But, a lot of that is because you're in a league where everybody's good. Yeah. Like, you know, even teams that are struggling at times, uh, you know, you can't just roll out your helmet out and beat. Uh, so there's uh, there and there isn't anybody like that in the league this year, I don't think. Also, one more thing to note, I try and make sure that I mention it every year, and I've had people ask me about this. Every coach's response is more or less unedited. Now, we will switch a couple things around if there are audio issues, if you know I have to shorten things up for clarity, something like that. There have been times over the years where I've had to go in and do a little tweaking, but the responses are unedited. We keep everything that the coaches say because I think it's important for you, the listening audience, to hear everything that they say in response to all of these questions because when we write these outlines we are asking the questions that we think that you the listener want to know about these teams yeah 100 we would we we are not trying to uh make anybody sound bad or get any or catch anybody or do any gotcha type questions um and so we we just want you know their legit thoughts about it yeah they're honest us and that's what we get make sure that you follow us on twitter at out of the box underscore pod. Make sure that you follow the gram at out of the box pod to uh, leave a review on Apple Podcasts and I think Spotify. I think you can do it there. Like, subscribe, five stars. You know, do all those things. Make us feel nice. Sure. Consider it your Christmas gift to us. <laughs> Before we delve into day one, is there anything broadly? that you want to you want to mention before we hear all the interviews? Obviously, that struck you about the coaches. For me. I think that the various responses that we got about rule changes stuck out and also some of the responses about realignment and what that means for college athletics. And you'll hear a few here on day one that really grabbed our attention, but I really appreciated the thoughtfulness that the coaches put into all of our quote unquote, big picture questions at the end of all the interviews. Yeah, that's, I was going to say that it was a lot of really thoughtful questions and it's things that you can tell that the coaches have thought about that mm-hmm. they're, you know, I know even if the coaches aren't necessarily on a specific committee or things like that, basically 99 out of a hundred coaches are in it for the betterment of the sport in general. Right. Uh, and I think the SEC very lucky that to have coaches that they have that, that do that as it stands right now. And I think that that has a lot to do with how they answer the questions. You could tell that they are, 
they're not doing it just from what is going to be necessarily best for me or for our team. It is what is going to be best for the future of the sport when they're talking about those type of questions. Yeah, and they can sense the thing in the air. They can sense the winds shifting in college sports and in particular in softball. And, you know, I had a conversation the other day about Arizona mismanaging their funds, and it looks like they're going to have to cut sports. I haven't seen any reports of anything on that list. And I said, well, they're not going to cut softball. But then I thought about it. I was like, well, I mean, what if they have no choice? I mean, there there are things that are going to be happening in the next five years in college sports that are going to drastically impact so many different types of athletic programs, but in particular softball, because it's in such a unique position where it's growing, but at the same time, some of the outside things haven't necessarily caught up with the growth. Yeah, and that I think that's kind of been you know, the way it's been for sports like softball, you know, since the beginning, yeah, uh, it's, there's a lot of sports that are very, very popular amongst the people that play it or even on television that not necessarily bring in the type of revenue that some of the other major sports do that because of that, they get put on the back burner when really, if you were to, you know, fund it and put a lot of, a lot behind it, they could become one of those really big revenue uh, producing sports. And we're seeing in a lot of places, softball kind of moving into that spot, uh, but they have to be given the opportunity to do so. Right. And I think all of you out there will appreciate the responses that we got in regards to the changing landscape of college athletics from all of our coaches. Now let's preview day one. We will start with the Kentucky Wildcats and Rachel Lawson, our dear friend, Tom, the Enigmas are running it back. Yeah. What is Kentucky this year? Yeah. Uh, they're they're not going to have <laughs> Caleb Kowalik. Right. But uh, they've got Aaron Koffel. Yeah. And otherwise, as I look at the roster, I see a lot of Will C's. Uh, I, I think it's a fascinating team. I wouldn't necessarily put them in the wild card spot. We'll talk about a team later on in this series that I think is in that position. But Kentucky's always around. I just feel like they're going to be – a team that will use the first few weeks, maybe even a few months of the year to figure out who they are. Yeah, there, there's a lot of different moving parts. Like I say Aaron Koffel is definitely going to be what the offense is built around. A healthy, hopefully, uh, Stephanie Schoonover is going to be what the pitching is going to be built around. Who's going to be the others to step up and uh, and create what can be a really good team at Kentucky. But yeah, I, I agree. I think it's going to be a team that's going to be trying to find themselves for at least the first few weeks of the season. We've also got South Carolina here on day one. Tom, South Carolina is a legitimate threat to win the league yeah. this year. And you look at where they were the first year that we did this, they're missing the tournament. And now here we are talking about South Carolina as a likely pick by both of us in the top five, at least. Yeah. I mean, they definitely, I think, had the biggest additions in the portal mm-hmm. of anybody in the conference and we'll see how that all gels together if it does gel together as their talent level says that it should they're going to be a very tough out and then tennessee they won pretty much everything you can win in the sec last year they lost ashley rogers huge loss but otherwise the gang is back together yeah and you know, Ashley Rogers was a huge part of that last year, but it wasn't the only part of it. Right. So you take her away from it, it is still a, a tremendous team, and, and they're going to, I think, be right there. But we start with the Kentucky Wildcats. Shall we hang out with our friend Rachel Lawson? 
Always a fun time. Always a great time. I wish we were watching Pitch Perfect with her now. But instead, we're just talking softball. Because it's time to start softball media days in Lexington with the Kentucky Wildcats. Here we go. We return to 2023 softball media days and it's time to talk to genuinely one of our favorite people that we get to chat with every time we do this. Let's go up to Lexington and Kentucky head coach Rachel Lawson is joining us here. Gray Robertson and Tom Canterbury. Coach Lawson, welcome back. Good to see you. You too. Thanks for having me on. It's always it's always a fun time talking about softball this time of year. So, yeah, there's no such it. thing as the off season, and no, true. fall ball rolls right along, and then we'll have the season in no time. And before we look at what 2024 might be for Kentucky, let's look back at 2023. I know that last year was kind of a roller coaster ride. There were some highs, there were some lows. When the dust settled, what were your main takeaways from last year's campaign? Well, you know, one of the reasons for the inconsistency is, you know, we had an elite pitcher in Stephanie Schoonover at the beginning of the year. She had really established herself as a dominant pitcher. We were rolling. Everything was going well. You know, we make it, you know, we're doing well in the preseason. We go into the first SEC series, we sweep Mizzou, and then she gets hurt. And so we really had to reestablish ourselves as a pitching staff from, from that point forward. And I think, so that's where a little bit of the inconsistency came in. We certainly had, um, we certainly had a good uh, bullpen, but they had to figure out the role. They were changing from being, as, you know, Stephanie had also closed several games, so you know, somebody, you know, people had to step up and be like, okay, I'm going to start this game and give us our good innings, and then another pitcher would need to close the games and stuff like that. And so, just that complete switch midstream. I think kind of created a little bit of havoc for the team in general. Uh, we start and um, the pitchers did a good job. They came up with some key wins, which actually kept our season alive. Um, and key wins were when it wasn't expected, like beating Georgia for a game in Georgia, that sort of thing. We had a really good series the weekend, um, our last weekend when we played Florida, winning that series. And those things really helped us, um, you know, finish pretty strong. But at the end of the day, we needed to make sure that we solidified our bullpen, that everybody was ready to start, to close, could command their stuff and everything moving forward. So that's been a major focus of ours. And then, you know, offensively, we did a really good job. Once we had people on base, we do a great job capitalizing on them. So this year we have to make it a greater focus to get more people on base and then also just add to our power numbers in general. So that's that's kind of that's kind of what leads to the inconsistency a little bit. And coach, I was watching back doing some research for our outline and I saw your your post-game press conference after that final game last year. And one of the last things that you said in the video was, I have to be different. I know that now. When you made that comment, what did you mean by that? You know, uh, number one, offensively, it, it, we're just playing a completely different world than we did three or four years ago. And so in a sport like softball, when you recruited people so early, it, unless you're going to cut everyone on your team to get the free up the money to get transfers, which certainly people do. Um, it, it's just a little bit different process depending on, you know, what your tolerance level is for doing that as a coach. And so number one, um, just because of the new day and age, you have to make sure that you can keep up 
with the power in terms of like now lineups one through nine, you know, people are a certain size, they're, they're, they're athletic, they can hit. And those seem to be the teams that day in and day out seem to be finishing strong. So number one, the dynamic, you know, we've always had really scrappy athletic players and we've certainly had our people with our strength and pound for pound. Um, I would put us against everybody, but we just needed to uh, size up a little bit. So we've, we've changed our recruiting. So I think you're going to see a little bit of that. Um, we've changed our, uh, how we do things on pitching, for example, Grace Ballman is now going to be calling the pitches for most of us, which is pretty cool. So that frees me up to um, be a little bit more of a manager for the team as opposed to um, keeping my focus day in and day out on the pitching staff. So it helped freeze me up a little bit to make sure that our whole staff is rolling the way that we want to, like our whole team and, and stuff like that. So I certainly am in in the bullpen. I'm certainly in the cages and all that sort of stuff. So our coaches still coach, but it just allows me to take a broader view about what we need as a program. Someone we've talked about a lot when talking about your team has been Kayla Kowalik for the past four years. And uh, we're going to talk about her again for a second because uh, she has now transitioned to being a grad assistant for you. Um, I know we've asked you this before, but can you kind of put into words what Kayla Kowalik has meant to your program and then uh, how her transition into now being part of the coaching staff now is for you? You know, she she certainly is one of she's by far the best leadoff hitter that Kentucky softball's ever had. You know, she she's arguably the best softball player who ever has wore a Kentucky uniform. So it's hard to find a successor for somebody like that because she does so many things well. And when she got up to, in the box by the by the her last two years, she made getting on base look easy. And even when she got out, it was it was challenging. She very rarely didn't challenge the defense. And so any you know, I would argue she's one of the greatest leadoff hitters of all time. And, and I would put that argument against anyone. Um, so I think that anytime you're trying to, you know, you start the game with somebody that great. Every single time you go to offense, you're starting with her. And and so uh, that is going to be a dynamic shift for us is, is just, you know, finding our successor, that person that starts the game with the momentum the way we want to and stuff. And to be honest with you, any anytime you lose a player like this on that on any program, there's a little bit of transition. And, and you know, she's a brilliant, um, brilliant person. So she's not allowed to coach the team, but she can certainly give me her two cents. And then I, you know, I get to share her wisdom. And let me tell you, she has no problem giving me her two cents. So, um, <laughs> but it's always gold. Um, she's very dynamic. And um, I think it's really helped us in the short game stuff. So because Kayla's not focusing on Kayla anymore, she's seeing a, a broader based thing. And then she's able to talk to me, hey, what if we tried this with this kid? And then, you know, the, you know, so there's a lot of in the office discussions and stuff like that. So having her um, as part of the staff is awesome, but she's not allowed to coach. So that's, you know, so she doesn't affect them directly, but she definitely has an effect on the coaching staff for sure. And still a phenomenal effect on Twitter as well. I, oh, I yeah. Mean... Oh, yeah. That, I don't know what she's going to do for a future, but she I definitely think she should be a social media PR or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, Kayla Kowalk is certainly in the conversation for one of the best players ever in your program. And I think by the by the time her career comes to an end, we could mention Aaron Koffel in that mm -hmm. discussion as well. Uh, last year, her numbers were ridiculous, and it got to the point where nobody was pitching to her. I mean, the walks were astronomical. How did she react to kind of maybe not getting anything to hit as the year went on? And what's the focus for her going into her final season with you? Well, at first, she didn't 
she was just, well, I want to swing. So she was like, Hey, what if I bunted it here? I'm like, why do you need to bunt? They're going to walk you, you know? And so like, she had to really just change her mindset into it. It's really tough because you still want to hunt pitches and attack pitches in your zone and let everything else go. And you're just not seeing a lot in your zone, especially in today's day and age of technology. All you have to do is hit a button and you know what every hitter you know, prefers to hit sort of situation. So, you know, and, and in our league, the pitchers don't miss very often. So she didn't get a lot of pitches to hit. Um, and so she certainly walked quite a bit and, and, you know, I'm sure at first that had an effect on her, but then as the season went on, I think she embraced her role and we just needed to make sure that uh, people could step up behind her. And, and so we shifted her in the lineup and did some things like that. And, and that seemed to work for us for the most part. So that was nice, you know, going into her senior year, I think, you know, she has big dreams, not only, you know, she wants to be, you know, she doesn't talk about this, but, you know, she was so close to being SEC player of the year. So I think she certainly wants to be in the discussion for that. We don't talk about it, but I know that it's there just based on her work ethic. I mean, her, she has not changed a beat. She is even, you know, outside of regular practice time, she is in the cages all the time. She is on the field. She has managers hitting her ground balls all the time. I mean, it's, it's something. So her defense is, you know, she continues to up level defense and range and all that, which is nice. And then offensively, she's just trying to make sure she can hit more pitches in the zone with power. So, um, you know, she's trying to increase her spray chart and increase it in a way that there's power on all sides of the field. So I think that's kind of where her focus is. And, and to be honest with you, she looks great. Uh, she had, she had a pretty good, um, fall considering all the constraints I always put on our players in the fall like we're so focused on one thing that sometimes you're not allowed to go with your strength you have to like um, try to hunt the things that you're trying to work on and stuff so I think she's done a good job currently she's with the national team right now um, and they're playing in the Pan Am games and, and she's in the starting lineup she's getting some RBIs and stuff so I, I, I think playing with them not only is she getting the great knowledge from all the coaches that are with her but also um, she's gotten a lot of confidence from being with that with that team and those type of players. I wanted to ask you about the international experience that she's getting now and that she's gotten here in this offseason. How much can that help a player when she's able to transition it into uh, the collegiate season? Well, I don't think the international play itself really helps you for an SEC season. I think you could confidently take an SEC team and beat the majority of the international team. Now, certainly not the top ones, but definitely some of the other ones. So it's not necessarily the level of competition that makes things different, but it's the approach and the mindset and just being around elite level players who have played on the international stage for a long time and, and who have played in the pro league. And then obviously the coaches, anytime you can get coaching now Aaron's very good about receiving coaching so let's say she's getting a different perspective from a different coach or, um, or something like that she's really good about adding those things to her game and she's constantly growing so I think those are the type of things that will help her leading into the season well and the biggest question I guess you've mentioned it yourself is finding a way to protect Aaron in the lineup right and you've got a lot of returners on this sheet you know I've got the roster here there's a lot of yellow so you got a lot of options but has anybody kind of separated herself as that possible pairing with Aaron Koffel once the season rolls around or are you still trying to work through that well we will always work through that um up until that's that's kind of how we do things we don't go into the you know, one of the reasons our scores in the fall aren't, you know, you see some teams, we just beat somebody 14 to nothing. Well, we play everybody and um, we mix it up and stuff like that. So I I, th I think everybody needs a shot, you know, 
to prove that they belong in the lineup or whatever and really creates competition. With that said, right now, I think the the hitters that are separating themselves from a power perspective that are making hard contact more frequently, um, you have Grace Lorson, who's really, I, in my opinion, she's the most improved right now from last season, which she looks great. Uh, Carissa Hamilton was somebody, you know, she's she was a freshman last year and she's an outstanding player and she is incredibly strong and gifted. Uh, but she had the misfortune of she was supposed to Kalo should have been graduated when Carissa was um, recruited. And so you didn't get to see her as much as probably we anticipated when we first recruited her. I think she's a special player and an exceptional star. And right now, when she makes contact, she's squaring up on the ball and hitting it hard. So those two seem to be the two right now um, that are that are kind of in the driver's seat to help with Aaron. And then, of course, you have Taylor Ebbs, who at any point, she's just such a good situational hitter and such a good team player. I think she could do a good job behind her. So as far as returners, they seem to be right now in the forefront. But we've got great stuff out of everybody. I mean, everybody's increased their power um, by quite a bit. And so I think it's just I think that one's too early to tell for sure. Well, Coach, it's now time to discuss it. Who's pitching? That's what we we always discuss it with Kentucky. And you mentioned Stephanie Schoonover a little while ago uh, with the injury plague season that she had in 2023. How is her recovery going and how is she looking to get the start off on 2024? Um, from a physical standpoint, she's at 100%. So she's good. We, you know, we, of course, worked her into it. She's a, a very, very, very hard worker, which is part of her issue. So she likes to pitch a ton to feel comfortable. But she looks great. Um, physically she's powerful. If we had to play a game tomorrow, she, she would do an outstanding job. You know, um, Jaden Vickers is somebody that we added in the transfer portal and she's, she brings good power. She's a lefty. Um, she can really spin the ball and unlike a lot of lefties, she can command her stuff, which is very fascinating. You know how lefties sometimes are a little crazy. She does a good job of commanding, um, both sides of the plate. So she had a, a great fall and, and is doing well so far. Um, we have a freshman who by far is our hardest thrower coming in as a freshman by the name of Sydney Langdon. Um, and she has electric stuff. So, and each week she gets better and better, um, in terms of her command. So that's, that's been nice to see. And then of course, uh, Lacatena, I think she's improved tenfold since last year already. You know, she played in the Italian league again this past summer. And I think she just, you know, her changeup looks outstanding. She's She's been doing a great job with um, just commanding her stuff. She seems to have a different focus, a much more mature focus. And in her innings, she's done a really good job. And um, Taylor Hess is another lefty that we have. So, um, and Taylor's done a good job. She's increased her velo. She has good command and has really improved her changeup, has a you know, has a very deceptive changeup now. So I feel good about our command. We're not throwing the ball all over the place. Um, I think we can go with a number of arms. I don't think we have to rely on one person. I still think you could probably have this section on your podcast, but um, I think because it's more intentional as opposed to, well, let's just try this today. It's going to be more like a matchup type situation. Yeah, a spinoff, if you will. Yeah, sure. yes, the news pitching segment. <laughs> I did want to make sure that we mentioned Lacatena a little bit more too, because last year she got a lot of work because of the Schoonover injury, and I feel like you know we've been talking about her for a couple of years now because of the work at the World Games and with the Italian national team. And you mentioned how her changeup has been really filthy, but mentality-wise, where is she? Is you know she continues to gain more and more experience, and I feel like she's played enough softball to be a fifth-year senior, but she's still got a couple more years in your program 
Yeah, I think she's changed. Um, I think one of the things that happened to her, so she's a coach, right? And I didn't put a lot of stock into that um, early on. But in her case, I think it was very different because she, you know, she didn't live in New Jersey. She chose to go, you know, play in Italy. She lived there, she did whatever, and she hit the pro stuff right away. And I think that from a structure standpoint, where the athletes are certainly superior, the structure is very different. Pro ball is completely different than college ball or whatever the case is. You know, there's a, it takes a lot of um, self-management and things like that. And I think that, the, you know, so I think her first year, year and a half, she was pitching, but she didn't own her preparation. She didn't own her pitches like it wasn't that sort of thing and this summer you can see a completely different focus in her you know she's always worked hard but you know the it's like the light bulb finally went on with her she's she's owning her stuff it's it's a lot better she's taking her starts seriously she's not um you know she's not easily distracted anymore she knows what she wants to do and she goes after it and and you can see that with her physically um she's significantly stronger than she was a year ago you can see that with her mentally she has a great focus she doesn't have let ups um and because of all that her confidence level i can tell is a lot higher so i really i feel good about where she's at in fact she got the start in our last game which was a big deal cuz that game had you know had a great crowd had close to 2000 people at it and um, she really showed out in her start. So I thought that was really cool and hit a home run, which was pretty, which was <laughs> awesome. It, it seemed like this was kind of the goal last year before the Schoonover injury happened, but is the goal to have a more defined role for each pitcher um, or is it a matchup base? How, how does, what is your thinking as far as that goes? Yeah, we would like to define, we would like to have a more defined experience early. So last year, like I said, you know, I was really, proud of Kennedy Sullivan because she after Schoonover went down I thought she really stepped up and took charge and came up with some key wins um prior to that I I think she struggled a little bit like she just she didn't find her role right away even though in my mind she was a starting pitcher I I think everybody thought of Stephanie as the starting pitcher and then everybody else pitched second and I think that's different now I think I think the uh, people in our bullpen understand that they are a starting pitcher. We don't have one starting pitcher. We have several options in the start. And then also I think that um, they're taking the closing role more serious. They know they've got to keep the ball, you know, in the park, they got to throw hard pitches. They got to challenge a pitcher and they got to come up with a win. And I think that that is different as opposed to, I'm just going to go out and do the best I can for the team as opposed to, okay, I'm, this is how I see myself being successful. I'm going to go for it and, and I'm going to be able to execute that plan. So I think that's the, that's the deal, but I certainly feel comfortable. I really feel comfortable with several starters right now, not just Steph. Well, it makes sense that you would bring up Candy Sullivan because as we look at the freshman class, her sister is joining the program and you've already mentioned Sydney Langdon, but what other freshmen should we be on the lookout for this year? Well, our freshman class is incredibly strong. So when you look at our power numbers um, in terms of like their ability to generate power, those kind of metrics, uh, our freshmen are the top of the top. So you have Aaron's certainly up there, but there's people generating as much actual raw power as Aaron, which is pretty impressive because Aaron is incredible. So she's kind of like our current gold standard. And, and then it goes Aaron. You have, you know, Lorson's doing a great job. You have Hamilton and then you have freshmen. And so, um, you know, you look at Allie Hutchins. She is incredibly powerful. In fact, her first at bat off of Schoonover, she hit a home run. I know Schoonover is not going to like that I said that. But, um, you know, so she absolutely <laughs> hit a tank. She has no fear. She's incredibly strong. She's a great player. You know, Peyton Plotz is arguably the strongest player on our team. 
Uh, that's not true. You know who we have not mentioned who had an incredible fall was Riley Smith. Right now, Riley Smith is our top hitter um, and is by far our strongest player. Uh, with that Smith, with that said, you know, Peyton Plotts in the freshman class, she's incredibly strong. Uh, I love Emery Donaldson where she doesn't have the raw power the other um, freshmen have. She is incredibly ballistic. She's fast and she's competitive. She has the it factor. So I expect that um, she's going to be doing great things. Um, you know, one of the freshmen that impressed me, um, Cameron Lookadoo, I didn't, you know, she's not of the same size and stature of the other people in that class, but she, she really competed, got a bunch of hits this fall, um, plays a great defensive, um, position. Um, I feel like I'm forgetting somebody. No, I think I got them all since you meant, and Delaney is, Delaney is, is nothing like Kennedy and that Delaney is a center fielder. She is fun. She can go sideline to sideline. She can go foul line to foul line and she runs like a deer and she's strong. I think once she kind of figures things out, she's going to be a force to reckon with. Oh my God. Cassie Reasoner. Cassie Reasoner um, plays shortstop. She is an outstanding player and is incredibly strong. She also hit a home run in the booze. So I thought that was pretty cool. Coach, uh, 2023, a rule change year. So we had a few uh, clarifications on rules and, and straight up changes. Uh, the what is a illegal pitch was a little bit defined better, a uh, obstruction, um, some replay review issues as well, quote unquote. Um, any uh, anything of the rule changes uh, that stuck out with you with you happy that you saw things change there? Well, overall, I thought that all the rules changes were good because they were fan friendly. Um, and they make the sport better. And, and when I think of the ultimate sports, it's it's the NFL, right? And the NFL is always tweaking things to make it better for the viewer. And I think softball is one of those sports we could command the spring season. And, and for a women's sport, I think that's incredible to keep us there. So I thought the Rules Committee did a good job of maintaining focus on things that would maintain the integrity of the game, but make it better from a fan perspective. I mean, the, the rule that's going to, you know, obviously the ability to go to replay when someone leaves early could affect the end of a game if you hold on to a challenge. So I think that that that's really helpful um, from that standpoint, just from a strate strategically. I mean, runners leave early almost every time. So if it's in a key situation with a key run, you're going to want to, you know, you're going to want to. I don't know why umpires don't call it, but it's pretty easy to see on video. So that one, I think, could change the end of games if someone's smart about that, or at least a run sort of situation. Obviously, the pitching, um, to be able to get rid of, you know, so we won't have people yelling at people about leaping. So I do think that the leap is probably fine, but you're going to certainly have people who are going to replant and pitch. And so that's going to that's gonna be the byproduct of that, which is going to change the game dramatically. I also think the pitch clock will change the game dramatically. Um, at first, I think the pitchers will have the advantage because it happens a lot quicker and hitters are going to have to change their routine. But I think that's going to help um, reduce the dead time in the sport. Well, and speaking of changing dramatically, we're going to bring up conference realignment again on one of these calls. And, you know, the SEC is changing next year, but this year I felt like everything else just went up in smoke. The Pac-12, unfortunately, is pretty much gone now. We've seen a ton of mid-major conferences shift around, and every time these topics are brought up, what's the first thing they mention? Football, 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 men's basketball second. I feel like nobody's talking about the sports like softball and soccer and volleyball and those kinds of sports. Does all of this change? Do all of these changes across college sports and the way that they operate, do they give you any pause 
for our sport, for softball, for the sport that we love? Yes. I don't even believe not only with conference realignment, but also with transfer portal with NIL, I believe you're going to start seeing programs drop softball. I think you're going to see programs drop soccer. I think you're going to see, so maybe not the SEC. So I think the cool thing about the SEC is we've maintained strong and we've maintained our geographic footprint. And so I think the SEC in the sport of softball remains strong and a lot of power fives. And plus we have TV going for us. But I think the way that everything is going, there is no doubt in my mind with the greed at the top level, um, I, there is no doubt in my mind that in the near future, you're going to see schools drop sports. Like there's going to be no other financial way about it. And I think that it's going to be a tragedy. That just made me so sad. Yeah, it <laughs> should make you sad. Yeah, like so, that's, that's awful. Yes. It's, it's terrible. Um, and so, you know, I know the SEC is trying to do stuff about it. They're trying to, you know, try to get, but this is up at the net. This is up at the federal level. We're trying to get the government to step in and stuff. But every single time there's a lawsuit that's constantly shifting money to just a few, the end result is going to be, um, I believe that you're going to lose the, you know, the, um, generational ability to have sports. So I don't know if it's going to be necessarily two or three years, but I, I think, in the near future, I think that you're going to see a dramatic turn in how things are done. And I think, like I said, the SEC will probably remain healthy in a few sports, but I do think that you're going to see other Olympic sports really be on the chopping block. There's no way around it. It's frustrating because we're in a situation where we should be seeing schools adding sports and because everything, you know, you're the, uh, the, the appeal and the popularity of, these other sports are so big, including softball and, you know, kind of at the front, um, you know, schools like Vanderbilt or Miami or somebody like that, that doesn't have it should be adding it. Um, but then we're going to see, like you said, some of these mid-major type schools maybe have to drop them. Well, how are you going to keep up? How do you keep up with the coaches' salaries? How do you keep up with the, you know, how do you keep up with the facilities? How do you keep up with every time you turn around? And and if student athletes become employees, you're definitely going to see a major shift because if student athletes become employees, how are these schools going to afford it? If somebody's an employee, you have things like workman's comp, you have, you know, you have all those stuff that never, nobody ever thinks about. Well, the people who are going to be in my, this is my opinion, but it's you don't have to be a rocket scientist to do the math. Um, in my opinion, the people that are going to suffer are the are the Olympic sports. Mm. There is only so much money, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that is the way it goes. Rachel Lawson joining us here on Softball Media Days. Fantastic comments from you, Coach. And now I want to shift over kind of back to the conference and back to a conversation that's been growing the last few years, and that is a neutral site SEC softball tournament. I know that there have been some discussions. We've talked to other coaches, and everybody seems to somewhat have it on their minds. Where do you stand on that possibility in the somewhat near future? Well, I'm one of them that is against it. Um, I think a lot are for it and stuff. I, I think if the structure of the tournament were to change, I would, I would probably view it a little bit differently, but you're not there very long. I know they're like, well, we want it to be like the guys, you know, they get to go play baseball and they get to hang out all week and they get to do all this fanfare. Well, with softball, you go in, you get in and you get out. It's a one game tournament. Um, 
we don't generally we don't have a place where there's this solid fan base where you're just going to get they say maybe Hoover, but they're not everybody's fans. They're Alabama's fans and they're Auburn's fans. Let's face it. They're not Kentucky's fans or Florida's fans or whatever. And with the structure of the tournament just being one game, why would somebody fly from Texas to go watch their team with a potential because they're only there maybe one day. I'm not, I mean, I'm not, mm. I'm just saying like that right. kind of geography. So I think for me, I love the idea of having that kind of a hoopla and a fanfare, but they would have to change the structure of the tournament for me to be okay with it. And then the other thing is 100% since I've been in the league, every single team that has hosted the SEC tournament has gotten an upgrade to their facility. You know, some they've gotten facilities, other people have had, and maybe it's changed the timetable of an upgrade their school is already planning on doing. And so um, I think for the, it's best for the women right now to get these facility upgrades than to give the money to a different town and hope that we get fans. But like I said, where they're going to put it, the only fans you're going to get are from the state of Alabama. I don't know why I would give the keys of the castle to the state of Alabama, like we do have Oklahoma and Oklahoma City. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Well, I mean, I'd be okay with it, but I oh, yeah. if I was Alabama and Auburn, I'd be us. all about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if I was, you know, Mississippi state, I think geography is, aren't they pretty close? Like if I was mm. one of those schools, I would be all about it because my fans would be there. But if I'm one of the other sec teams, I would take pause to give somebody that kind of competitive advantage. Well, and I think one other fear that I've heard from, from not a coach is that maybe that would be discussed that the tournament would be played in Oklahoma City since Oklahoma and Texas are joining. And I don't think that that is something that that coaches are ready for, if I'm guessing, right? Well, it's the same principle. I mean, yeah. when you watch Oklahoma, who's obviously, they're outstanding for a lot of reasons, but one of which is how many years have they been playing in that stadium with their fans? And so when you go to Oklahoma, or when you go to the World Series and you're playing Oklahoma, that's essentially a home game for them. You know, they, they're so good and they've built it up and everything. I don't know why we would recreate that history. It just doesn't make sense. You know, I guess people would want to do it maybe to have the experience of playing on the field. But you definitely 100% again are giving the keys of the castle to Oklahoma. I don't know why we would want to do that. Well, to, to be fair, one of the places that, that we've discussed a lot, it would be Nashville, which would be more of a central location that maybe wouldn't give one team a a unfair advantage and that'd be you know if somebody would build a facility in nashville that would be capable of hosting it maybe that would be a, a an answer yeah i think nashville could be a great place but they, hey they don't even want to have a softball team in vandy so why the heck would they host the sec tournament <laughs> i mean they are yeah. by far my least favorite sec team because they just will not put you know as a softball coach i can't stand them so i don't want to go to nashville until they're ready to pony up and you know play softball well there you go but speaking of, yes <laughs> speaking of the facilities though you know we've seen in women's sports uh lately uh just huge turnouts because we talked about the women's college world series they put they they add a new upper deck every year and it sells out and they could add five more and they would all sell out um we've seen ten thousand in hoover for the world games uh nebraska volleyball sells out their football stadium Iowa women's basketball has 55,000 in their football stadium. Uh, we just saw Wisconsin volleyball outdraw Wisconsin football on the Big Ten network viewership-wise. Uh, with those type of numbers, those type of things happening, does that do you think that will probably put a uh, kind of a bug in the people's ears who's making the decisions that when we're talking about facility upgrades or building new facilities, we can go bigger and better because there is this the fan base that is willing uh, to fill it up? 
I think so. And also, you know, every time you're putting in fans of 55,000 or, you know, 50,000, whatever the case is, you're drawing more and more attention of your donors. So there's going to be quite a few people in those stands that, you know, um, are willing to to help build those facilities and donate and things like that. So uh, without question, I do think the sport of softball is very healthy. And I think um, women's sports that are at some places I think that you're doing that, but at a lot of schools, you're not, you're not doing that kind of thing. And, and they're not putting that many resources into it. But overall, I think that they're, I think that the ADs are going to pick the sport that, um, you know, for us, for the SEC, because we're on TV so often, I think that's where the competitive advantages and stuff like that. So I think there's, you know, the big 10 obviously has a lot of support in those schools, but you don't see that geographically. Like you don't see that in the state of California or stuff like that. So I think it's, it just really depends on um, what your ADs and what your conference really wants to do. All right, coach, before we let you go, it's time for the fun questions. So get ready. We've got <laughs> first a little softball discussion and it's, about a show that we're going to do in a couple weeks, maybe a couple okay. months. We'll see when it actually happens. The all-time SEC pitcher draft. So Tom and I and a couple guests are going Ooh. to put together our staffs from at any point in the SEC, from 97 to the present day. And so we're doing a little research project with all the coaches to see who should be on the draft board. Coach, outside of Kentucky, because we know you would immediately say Kelsey Nunley, who sure. are some of the toughest pitchers that you coached against that should be on that draft board? Stacy Nelson. She was incredible. Um, oh, shoot. God, we had so many. Um, well, obviously you have Abbott. I mean, that's a no brainer. Um, I really liked Ellen Renfro. I thought that when in big time situations, she was, she was tough. Uh, you know, it's tough because, well, uh, Mizzou had um was she Chelsea Thomas in the SEC though yes she was one Chelsea year Thomas. Chelsea Thomas was just incredible um I'm trying to go down who uh the greats the all-time greats oh Wilkinson Chelsea Wilkinson is just special I mean I I just thought she was outstanding um she's the one pitcher I never understood how that she didn't get a championship because I just thought she was that outstanding I thought she was so good um ooh, who am I missing of the like the all-time greats? I know I'm missing some because it's just you know it got sprung on me. Um <laughs> and it's a gigantic list. I mean, you obviously right, have yeah. fouts. I mean, you obviously have fouts, so that's that goes without question. Um oh uh Tennessee, uh she just graduated. Incredible. Rogers? Yeah, Rogers is incredible. Um I mean, I love Ole Miss for that one stretch had that lefty that threw those changeups. I thought she was pretty tough, but I mean, I don't know if she makes the cut on these other ones or not. I don't know how deep you're going to go. Um, <laughs> It'll probably be five or six. So there yeah. we're probably talking like top 30 at best at, at, at the most. Right. 30 pitchers. Oh, definitely yeah. for Ole Miss then. What was her name? Jacobson maybe. Oh yeah. Molly Jacobson. She just had a really good changeup. I mean, she was she was pretty tough. I'm trying to hit up all the schools, right? Um, <laughs> is is that what made facing a pitcher so the most difficult? We've had a lot of the coaches have mentioned the ability to change speeds and keep people off balance. Is, is that the toughest thing when you're facing a pitcher uh, for the hitters to adjust to? 
Well, no, because you had Fouts and she rarely changed speeds. So, I mean, now we she has so much raw power and so much late movement. It's kind of crazy movement. So I think I just think everybody has a gift. Um, and it depends. Um, and what made uh Rogers so difficult was um her spin. I mean, she could just spin anything. Oh, you know who I thought was really good. Um, I don't know if she got the clout she deserved, but at Alabama, I mean, she threw a curveball every time, but it was in a different spot. Um, God, Sydney, Sydney yes. Littlejohn. Oh my gosh, she was tough. Um, you know, done one uh, or none. Kelsey, what's her name? None. Kelsey, Kelsey Dunn. 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 Yeah, Kelsey Dunn. Yeah, she was. I mean, she obviously has to be in the discussion because you know she won a couple of uh, league championships. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, but no, I think every pitcher is just different. They, you know, it just their ability to be deceptive in whatever way po possible. If somebody only has raw power, I don't know that um, the difference with Stacy Nelson is she threw pretty hard, but her screwball actually was a drop ball. So you just couldn't hit it out of the park. I mean, I, I don't even know if she gave up home runs. I think she's one of the greatest. Once she figured that pitch out, I think, I mean, that was in, you know, I think Florida was really, really, really tough to beat. So. Well, my question, Coach, you know, obviously I'm going to ask you about food because that, you know, we we all have our uh, our strengths and that one is mine. Uh, when we uh, we talked about it a few months ago, the Masters, they have their champions dinner where the champion from the year before gets to pick the menu for their for the dinner the next year. If you were the Masters champion and you got to pick your Masters championship dinner menu, what would be on it? Oh, I'd have to be steak. So I feel bad for all those vegetarians out there. But yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I would pick, you know, I would pick the best steakhouse in whatever, wherever, whoever was hosting the venue. I think it would just have to be something like that. Great. How do you, oh, how do you I like your steak coach? Medium rare. Definitely. Me too. <laughs> Same page. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> any, what, any side dishes? What, what do you love to go with your steak? Oh, shoot. Um, I'm a big asparagus, asparagus girl and things like that. You know, I'm not a big Mac and cheese girl. I think you can get that all the time. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely, depending on how you do the potatoes, I mean, like people get really creative. I don't know. I'm not, I'm good with all sides, but there's not a side that just like, you know, goes out. It's definitely, to me, it's the 100% how the steak is made. There you go. Well, you know, in the South, the mac and cheese is a vegetable. So that does count. Uh, that does is true. It does count. Yes. <laughs> uh, whatever we have to do to eat healthy. Right. That's what we do. Yes. <laughs> Rachel Lawson joining us here on Softball Media Days. Coach, this was phenomenal. You're the best. Thank you so much for joining us and best of luck this year. We'll see you in Lexington this season. All right. I appreciate it. Thank you. So that was our dear friend, Rachel Lawson. Always a pleasure to chat with the Kentucky head softball coach. And I mean, you look at, you look at the roster, they do bring back a lot of people. They just don't bring back Kayla Kowalik, which is so critical. And uh, I mean, coach Lawson, we, we talked about it. The biggest thing for this team, how will Aaron Koffel be able to produce at an offense where they might still be searching to see who's protecting her in the lineup. And can Aaron Koffel, when she gets those chances, cash in because they're not going to happen very often. That's going to be the most important thing because Koffel and Koala kind of protected each other in that lineup. So someone else is going to have to step up to be that person that protects Koffel 
day in and day out in that Wildcat offense. And then also, you know, we're going to keep track of some of the responses. We we haven't discussed the all SEC pitcher draft yet on this podcast series. We've talked about other places. Sure. Uh, a lot of people are going to be mentioning the Renfro sisters and Stacy Nelson. And I got to say, Stacy Nelson in the running for a first round pick. I wow. Think. Yeah, there's definitely uh, definitely on everyone's board. Um, there's just so many. That's, and, and I know some of the coaches, they're going to when we ask them, they kind of get, well, I don't want to forget somebody. It's like, well, this is why we're asking. Right. Like, because we know there's, we know there's so many of them out there and we're going to, you know, we'll do this draft 40 people will get taken and then there'll be like 10. They'll be like, Oh my gosh, how, how is she not here? Mm-hmm. Uh, so th- we're just trying to get as many names as we possibly can. And those are some big ones. Kentucky. Also a couple things worth noting. The start to conference play is not the easiest. You've got LSU at home at Florida, where is Florida? We'll figure that out. That'll be discussed later on in media days. Alabama at home. Add an A&M team that I think can be dangerous. Georgia at home. In fact, I'm just going to read the whole schedule. At Auburn, South Carolina, at Tennessee. Like, this is a pretty brutal conference slate. It, it is brutal. Um, There's no Ole Miss, no Mississippi State. Right. Um, but I, I think that we're going to – that's going to be a thing we're going to be saying about everybody. It's like, man, this is a tough conference schedule. Yeah. No one has an easy one. Right. Uh, there's It's um, – and it's just going to get tougher, obviously, in the next year. But it's going to be interesting to see how a lot of these teams are able to navigate what's going to be a very difficult conference schedule after you've played the non-conference schedule some of these teams are playing. Well, a team that has got a very, very interesting conference schedule that I've been harping on for quite a long time is the South Carolina Gamecocks. And we'll take a break before we discuss our dear friends from Columbia South Carolina coming up next here on Softball Media Days. Welcome back. We roll on day one Softball Media Days here on the Other Box Podcast. It's Gray and Tom. And Tom, we're talking about South Carolina Gamecocks. We're about to chat with our dear friend, Bev Smith. This is a team that can win the league. They can. They've got Vauder coming in from Stanford. They've got a pretty good continuity offensively up at the top of the lineup. They've brought in some other transfers that I don't think anybody's talking about because Vauder sucks up so much of the oxygen when you're discussing this roster. South Carolina's in a nice little position, and that is, frankly, a change from what it's been like the last few years. When we first heard the rumblings of where Alana Vauder might land, uh, I remember South Carolina coming up in one of the group texts that we were discussing it in, and everyone like, what? Like South Carolina is not one of those places had not entered my head. No, that you would think one of the biggest uh, portal uh, pitchers would land. But then when she makes that announcement, it totally, you know, it elevates South Carolina, which was already on the, you know, the way up. Uh, it, it just puts that in the turbo boost. And yeah, they went from being a, well, a team that can maybe break out of being in the middle of the pack to a team that's going to be a legit possible conference championship contender and a real fascinating conversation with our dear friend bev smith that you're about to hear right now tom i think we should play the play the audio yeah sounds good all right here we go it's bev smith south carolina head softball coach joining us for softball media days (laughs) 
Welcome back to 2023 Softball Media Days here on the Out of the Box Podcast. Gray Robertson, Tom Canterbury, and Tom, it is time to talk about one of the buzziest teams in the SEC that made a lot of headlines last year, and certainly in the offseason, it is the South Carolina Gamecocks, and we're joined by the head coach of South Carolina, Bev Smith. Coach, always a pleasure to see you. Welcome back. Thanks so much for having me on. And I want to talk about last year because you made such a great run in the SEC tournament, getting to the championship, really challenged Florida State in Tallahassee. All of a sudden we were talking about, whoa, is Florida State going to go down at home again? I mean, Donnie Goborn was such a story. It was really just a great year for your squad. What were your main takeaways from the entirety of 2023 for South Carolina? Uh, it was, I tell you what, it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, Donnie Goburn was certainly a big headline for us. Um, I love that story. And I'll give you just a quick update on that is, you know, Donnie went on to play in the, in the, in the MPF and I was curious how she would do in the pros. And she ended up leading the, the pros in strikeouts this summer. So she had a great summer in the professional leagues. Um, so much so that she, uh, garnered the attention of Japan and she's going to pitch in Japan, um, this year, starting in March. So she's going to spend half the year, uh, playing in Japan. And I just think it's a really cool story. Um, you know, she signed a great contract to go over there and do that with Japan. And, and last summer she was working at McDonald's. So it, it is really cool how athletics can, can, can really change your life. And, I think Donnie was somebody who, who bought in. Um, you could see her gain confidence as the year went, as the year went on. Um, it, particularly through SEC play, she gained more confidence every game. And I think with that, so did our team. And so I think she was kind of the engine uh, and our team really believed and they just continued to gain confidence as, as well. So I think when I look back at last year, I think about, really the confidence that our team gained. And I, I feel that going into this fall is that team has come back with a little chip on their shoulder. We belong, we're ready to go. Uh, we've made some nice additions to this, to our team this year. And I, I just feel like last year's confidence has carried over. I think one place where that was really shown was in the SEC tournament. And uh, Gray and I, we were there with Alabama and we're waiting to play the second game of the day in the, in the semifinals, uh, Auburn's up on South Carolina in the seventh inning. And then all of a sudden our pregame show became about an hour long because of the home run that extended that ball game. Uh, and I just thought it was just a, a really testament to your team because that a lot of stuff had gone not your way in that game up until that seventh inning. And then to continue that run in the tournament was really impressive. It, it was so exciting. And for me, you know, it was Jordan Fabian, a senior who hit that, who hit that home run for us to, um, for us to go ahead. And it was, it was just um, exciting because you want your seniors to be able to go out on top. And I think that's a moment uh, when Jordan Fabian looks back at her career, that's something that she's going to remember is that home run against Auburn. So you mentioned some of the additions and we're going to just turn the page. I feel like we're almost burying the lead, waiting like four minutes to talk about <laughs> Elena Vodder coming from Stanford to South Carolina. Obviously a gigantic addition. You could argue this is the biggest story in the league in the offseason. We have seen her way too talent. much. Yes, not, we, not a bit, yeah. we know how good she is. We've seen <laughs> it with our own eyes. But how did all of this come about and what does she bring to this team beyond just her talent and her ability and the experience that she's had? 
Uh, I tell you what, you're right. It was, it was a giant get for us. And, um, it really started, um, it really started the summer when she got on the portal. I, I sent her a text immediately, you know, wanting to throw our hat in the ring. And, um, we, we got onto a quick conversation via text about our sport and entertainment management program. And we have a really unique program here, um, that also allows you to get a master's degree at the same, at, at, I'm sorry, an MBA at the same time you're getting your master's in uh, sport and entertainment management. And that really piqued her interest. And, um, so that started the conversation and, you know, I believe that if we can get people to come to Columbia and we show them what's going on here, then we've got a chance with anyone in the country. And so I think Elena Vodder is a perfect example of that, um, that, you know, our text communication about the academic um, program we had here fits what she was looking for in a graduate degree. And, um, and we just stayed in communication all summer. And, um, you know, she, she went on a, a week long uh, trip of all, all different schools and uh, it, it worked out great, but I think she's a great fit here. I've enjoyed getting to work with her, but uh, you know, you talk about a true professional, you know, she's seasoned, she, um, she communicates so well, we can talk through things. It's been, it's been a lot of fun to get to know her and coach her this fall. And it's not just going to be on her by herself in that uh, for your pitching staff here this year, returning Bailey Bettenbaugh, Jory Hurd, who Gray and I have seen a lot of in the FGCL um they are they're coming in or they're they're returning this year to give you a lot of that depth in, in the circle yes um so you know bailey is a seasoned veteran jory uh i think you're right this summer um she she made some excellent gains over the summer and has looked really good coming back this fall uh and then we add two other freshmen in the circle um both gatorade gatorade players of the year and they're in their home states um, and have both come in and had really nice fall too. So I love the fact that you have a Bailey Bettenbaugh and an Elena Vodder who can be the mentors um, to these two freshmen who I think have a lot of talent in, uh, in Sage Margetko and uh, Regan Bennett. Um, so they've been fun to watch too. So I love the fact that I, I feel like I have these mentors for them in the, in the bullpen as well. So uh, I feel really good about our depth in the circle this season. Yeah, and you've also got a lot of returners on the offensive side as well. You had eight players last year at over 100 at-bats. Seven of them are back. Uh, I feel like that was pretty much the case as well last year. So what growth have you seen from those returners year in and year out ahead of this 2024 season that, that excites you? Well, um, what excites me is we've added Jake Epstein as our hitting coach. And I, I've just seen some changes that he's made with our uh, with our returners that I think are going to pay dividends for us in the spring. Um, uh, so I, I really like that part. I think he's cleaning up some things for us um, that needed to happen. And um, I think we're going to, we, we are certainly deeper offensively um, with the transfers that came in. Um, but I, I like to, I like what coach Epstein's doing um, in the, in the batting cages with our group uh, and the team really seems, seems drawn and connected to him. You mentioned those transfers coming in. You know, you could definitely say South Carolina, one of the main teams that uh, that won the portal this year. Uh, Denver Bryant, Bree Warren, Kiki Ashada, Kiana Jones uh, joined Alana Vodder coming in in the portal. Uh, how did those four kind of fit into your plans lineup wise? 
Yeah, they they're they're all are going to be impactful. Um, I think Denver Bryant probably um, probably most notable in the sense that she has the stats. You know, she's been a plus three hundred hitter in SEC play uh, during her career. So you know, she's somebody who uh, can really play anywhere in the infield. But it's it's her offense that I like uh, that she's that she's bringing to the team. Um, uh, Bree Warren. Ke- uh, Kiana Jones and um, Kiki Estrada, um, all are all are going to be excellent, and I think add depth to us. I think we've got a lot of choices um, when we're when we're looking at the lineup. So this fall, we've been we've had people in and out and in different positions, and really have challenged them in different ways. But um, we've certainly added uh, a lot more left-handed power for sure. So a lot of those are lefty hitters that'll definitely help us. And I'll ask you about uh, Denver in in particular. Uh, we've seen her in the SEC her, her entire career, and she is known, you know, for putting up those numbers, like you said. But she's also known for having that big personality. Uh, how much? How has that? How has she kind of gelled with the rest of the team with that personality? Yeah, it, it is. She's she's she has a bold personality, and uh, and certainly we're all getting to know each other this fall. Um, you know, but Denver, Denver wants to be, wants to do big things. And, you know, we just went on a team bonding trip uh, and that's our goal. You know, when you go into the portal and you add new players, you know, you've got to work to get people to know each other and at a, probably a little more quickly than you would um, when it was the, a more traditional uh, time and people stayed four years places. So um, I think, I think everybody is still getting, getting to know everyone uh, on the roster, but uh, Denver's fitting in very well. You know, coach, it's so interesting. We were talking right before we press record about this is our fourth year chatting with all the head coaches. And I remember the first couple of years we did this, you had missed the NCAA tournament. You were talking about how it's all about the response. And now as we have these conversations about this year's team, there are options everywhere in the circle offensively. How rewarding is that for you as a coach to know that, you know, you, you, you were at rock bottom a couple of years ago, record wise, but you built it back up. You built it back up the right way. And now there's a lot of buzz about your team this year. Well, I, I think that's my job as the, as the leader of the program to look and say, Hey, what do we need? You know, what do we need to compete? What are we, what does this program need? Um, and, you know, we had to, we had to look at how we were doing things and evaluate what we were doing. Um, so, and I do think the transfer portal allows you to do that, right? Like we could go and, uh, fill in some pieces that we needed. Um, and, and like you said, us picking up Donnie Goburn was giant last year, but also, you know, Jen Cummings coming in from, from Washington was big and I have black coming in and, you know, it's not just the, um, performance role. Uh, but we had a player who transferred in from Furman, Natalie Morgan. Uh, I would take a million of her on our team. She she did not play every day, but she had such a large impact um, on just the culture of South Carolina and the maturity and wisdom that she brought to practice every day. It was she was a like a glue kid, and it was um, those are those are the kind of things that you've got to match in there too. So. Um, I've really appreciated um, when we've had players like uh, a Jordan Fabian or Rachel Vaughn, a Bailey Bettenbaugh, who's going to have gone through and had the full experience of the ups and downs of four and five years. Um, 
because I think that's what makes it great. Um, but I also love the courage that these women have to get in the transfer portal that say, hey, I want something different. I'm looking for a different experience. And they come in and make the best of their time. Um, because I tell you, Anaya Black is an example for me um, that has come in and really displayed some leadership skills and uh, just has that strength of character that you want in the dugout. So it's been really, it's been really fun to kind of um, mesh, mesh our group every year. So I am proud of, of those changes. And I'm really excited about what's happening in the locker room right now. You see a lot of great stories like, a, you know, Donnie Goldborn wasn't really, you know, a big flashy get at the time. And she, you know, got that opportunity to really shine and she did so well. Uh, and then somebody like Alana Vader, like you mentioned, you know, she's coming because you have a great academic, but, but what she wants to do is a perfect spot for her. So there's so many different um, reasons and, and uh, variables onto why people go where they go and, and how successful they are when they get there. Absolutely. And I say it all the time. This isn't a hostage situation, right? You get, you get four years to play softball. Let it be the experience that you want, right? If you're not happy, then you can go, you can go somewhere else, right? Um, that, that nobody's in a hostage situation and you can, you can absolutely go get what you want. And I think, um, I think that's the that's the part that's exciting is that you can you can create your own experience. And, you know, my hope is that we do a good job on the recruiting side and people stay and they want to be here four years. Um, but when they don't, it's OK, too. Right. That it, it's it's their experience and they can they can make what they want of their four years. Coach, you've already mentioned a couple of the freshman pitchers, but who else amongst the newcomers who are the youngsters on the team with, with a squad that is as deep as yours is uh who should we be on the lookout for this season okay i'm gonna give you a name here's your here's your hot tip uh carly shelton carly shelton is carly shelton graduated high school early this summer to join us so she should have been in the 2024 class uh, but joined us this year as a freshman and i tell you what she is fun to watch. Um, you talk about a hitter's IQ, like she just really, she gets in the box, you know, she can communicate what she's looking for. Um, it's really impressive for someone to be as young as she is. Um, but she's a baller and I'm, I'm excited to see how she gets out and competes. She does not look like a freshman on the field. And like I said, she really is a senior in high school right now, but mm -hmm. Um, she, she fits in very well and, um, she's going to be a, an exciting addition to our freshman class this year. It was a rule change year in the NCAA. So we got some, some, a few changes and clarifications on some rules, uh, you know, obstruction clarified a little bit, not a hundred percent, but yeah, but we as kinda, best they can, we kind of know what obstruction <laughs> is now pitching rules a little bit different. Um, generally, what are your thoughts about the rules and was there anything that you were really excited to see did finally get changed? Well, the, the pitching rule, I think just takes the pressure off everybody. Right. So I guess now they're just looking for the replant, uh, on the, on the pitching side. Um, uh, we are going to the 22nd clock, uh, which I'm excited about in terms of just pace of play. I think. Um, we want to be good partners with TV and making sure that 
you know, we try to fit as best we can into the TV window because softball is um, really hot right now. And we don't want to lose our momentum by dragging our games out longer and longer. So I do think um, the 22nd clock that we'll be using uh, in SEC play um, will be beneficial. So right now what we've talked about are the umpires are actually going to control the clock from the field. Um, and I think that will help move move things efficiently. So I'm excited about that role. And coach, we've we've talked a lot in the past. We talked last year about realignment in the SEC, Oklahoma, Texas coming in. It's a big deal, yada, yada. Uh, this year, we've seen realignment wreak havoc across the country. And all of a sudden, the Pac-12 is essentially no longer a thing. You've got people moving left and right. And I feel like everybody's always talking about football. They're not talking about us. They're not talking about softball. Are there any concerns at all for you about about where softball's place might be with all this that's going on? Because I feel like a lot of the big time power players aren't thinking about the sports like softball and volleyball and soccer and all those that are having to do so many different things because of the realignment. Yeah, I I feel like the SEC is positioned so well with Texas and Oklahoma coming into our league. I think it just solidifies that the sec is going to be the best softball conference in the country. Right. And, um, and I think Texas and OU are going to bring those media markets with them. Um, I, I think, uh, with the pack dissolving the way they have and, and going into the, the big 10 and the big 12, um, I hate that for softball in a way, because, you know, the pack is, you know, has been perennial champions. Um, so, so for me, I just think it gives us a bigger stage and spotlight in the SEC. This is this is the part of the the conversations that I think Ray and I really enjoy because we're yes. kind of talking about the the minutia of the, the entire sport. And uh, one of the things we're going to ask all the coaches here during media days, a couple of questions. One is, um, you know, considering you have the sellouts every year at in Oklahoma City, the Women's College World Series, they could put two more upper decks on there and it would still sell out. And there'll still be people wanting to get in there. Uh, we saw 10,000 in Hoover for the World Games uh, with USA against Japan. Um, we've just seen Nebraska volleyball sell out a football stadium. Iowa women's basketball put 55,000 in their football stadium. With those type of uh, of of attendances, do you think that will kind of put the thought into the decision makers? brain that when we look at building new softball facilities or expanding the ones we have, we can think bigger than what we are right now. Yeah, I don't think you just have to put seats around a small field, right? I was at, I went to Sydney, Australia this summer for the World Cup, right? You were, mm -hmm. you it was 76,000 people there um, to, to watch women's soccer. I mean, it was, it was awesome. And, um, yeah, I agree. I I hope I hope that um I don't necessarily know how to influence all those people, but um there's no doubt that the the TV numbers are increased every single year. The popularity's there. I would love to see someone step forward and just say, "Hey, let's do let's do it right." And mm. um I I would love to see that uh happen for us, but Absolutely. Just look at the trend of women's sports right now. It's amazing. 
and, and Tom mentioning the World Games kind of gave me a thought. Yeah, you know, that was such an unreal event. They turned the Hoover Met into a softball field. It was awesome, and they could have put seats in the outfield too. It could have really looked like Oklahoma City. And last week we saw baseball re up the deal that their tournament's going to stay in Hoover. Do you feel like? in the near future or in the distant future, we could move towards a situation where maybe the SEC softball tournament is played at a neutral site like the Hoover Met or something like that? We we are in conversations about that. Um, you know, for a long time, the coaches wanted to keep uh, our tournament on campus sites uh, because generally speaking, when you hosted, you got some upgrades at your facility. Um, I think now administrations are giving softball programs the upgrades that they need uh, to stay relevant. And that's not necessarily as true as it was probably 10 years ago. Um, so we are looking for an experience that the, that say baseball is getting in Hoover, where you can get bigger crowds, you know, what, where your neutral site's going to be year in and year out. So um, the SEC office is in some conversations with some neutral site facilities, and I think all the coaches are on board with that type of experience for our student athletes. I like the sound of that. May I suggest Nashville or something like that or, or the or, beach? Yeah, Orange Beach, Alabama is all fun. Let's <laughs> go somewhere <laughs> great, somewhere nice and warm. Yes. All right, Coach, uh, speaking of fun, yes. it's the fun questions that we've Yay. always got at the end. <laughs> okay. So we've got two of them this year. Okay. So on the show in at some point, I don't know, the schedule keeps changing because right. so many things keep happening. We're so busy. I know. Goodness gracious. Uh, we're going to do an all-time SEC pitcher draft. So it'll be the two of us and a couple guests. We're going to pick pitchers from the SEC's entire history to fill out a staff. And so I figured, why not do some research with the experts? So you're not allowed to say anybody on your team, but who are maybe the toughest pitchers that you coached against? that you would throw in the mix for a uh, first round pick? Uh, well, Montana Fouts, for sure. Um, I like that one. Okay, this was years and years ago. Who was the pitcher at Alabama that she's now coaches in Florida? Kelsey Dunn. Mm -hmm. I tell you what, to me, she was the pitcher that um, just as soon as you thought you had made an adjustment, um, and you were ready for her on Sunday, she would pitch completely different, right? She'd, she'd add a pitch, come at you with something totally different. I always thought she was very tough. Chelsea Wilkinson was tough at Georgia. I'm thinking, so I've been here 13 years now, so I've seen a lot of these. You've seen a lot of All-American yes, pitchers over um, the years. <laughs> Hager was tough. How many? How many do I get? As many as you want. Yeah, yeah. You've uh, you've filled out my draft board. That's perfect. <laughs> Kelsey Kelsey Dunn is one that people kind of forget about sometimes. Well, because it's been a while. Yeah, mm -hmm. it, yeah, it's been a little while. But she, yeah, she was as dominant as anybody um, for all the time. But you you mentioned you know what made her so good was that she added something or changed something. Is that the toughest thing about some of these elite pitchers? Is not just that they have one or two pitches, but they can do something totally different if you see her for a second time in a weekend? Yeah, to, to look different on Sundays. Um, and I just thought she was, I just felt like she pitched you different on on the next day. Um, mm -hmm. And it, yeah, I always thought she was particularly tough. This is the great thing about the league and why this is going to be such a fun episode, because there are 50 people that you could name. 
and we're yeah. cutting out a team of options for right. you to mention. Yeah. If you were to put one for your team, would it be Donnie Goburn or who who would you put on there? For my team, yeah, Donnie Goburn would have been the most competitive SEC pitcher. Was Megan Bunning? Um, because she was an all-American at South Carolina, if mm-hmm. you're counting SEC play. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think if she was in the, the actual SEC play though. Because if she was in SEC play, um she would need to be considered be 97 right yeah 97 we'll have to check that but that that's yeah. definitely a name check to that because megan yeah. bunning would deserve mentioning if um she was an all-american at south carolina so if she was there at the start of the sec she was she was an early dominator yeah it's a good good start for very us. good on, I, on I don't even okay. need to draft i'm good now <laughs> <laughs> there's there's you know there's just been so many i mean oh yeah that's but, the thing. We'll, we'll do this when we do this draft show. We'll finish it, and then there'll be like five All Americans. That we, like, wow, we how, forgot how about Ali Wallace. Right? How do we not yeah, put this part on there? Right. Uh, but like, the person I'm most excited to see graduate would be Montana Fouts. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, Coach, my question is going to be about food, uh, and uh, we did a we discussed uh, back during Masters time. You know, the champion gets to do their champions dinner uh, before. Uh, the first round where they get to pick what's on the menu for their champions dinner uh, at Augusta. Uh, if you had a master's champions dinner, what would be on your menu? Okay. I'm going to tell you two things. Um, when you come to Columbia again, I want you to come to motor supply company. I was there at a friend in town and we went a couple of weeks ago and we had a bone and pork chop collard greens and it was amazing. So I'm going to say that was my meal. That was really the best meal I've had in such a long time. So I'm going with a bone and pork chop and collard greens. It's a spectacular answer. Yeah, and another, yes. and inadvertently another yes. restaurant to visit when we go back to yes, Columbia. Because I know you guys like that. So well, there you go. Well, we appreciate it. Like the, uh, the divine cinnamon roll won uh, the gold medal a yeah, couple years right. ago. Oh. So on Perfect. for tom's hungry so, yeah, yeah so your track record is impeccable on the show when it comes <laughs> yeah. to recommending yeah. restaurants <laughs> i love that game uh south carolina head coach bev smith joining us here on softball media days coach it is always a pleasure to see you and we can't wait for this season to start i know you're just as excited as we are thank you so much for hopping on with us i appreciate it good to see you both thank you coach take care cockadoodle do or something that's south carolina head coach bev smith so uh, let's get to the schedule thing, because I, I think this is the most interesting piece in all of this. As good as Botter is, the South Carolina conference schedule is manageable. Yeah. And we've talked about this in so many different ways. At AM, Tennessee at home, huge. At Ole Miss, Mississippi State at home. Arkansas at home. At Florida at Kentucky, Missouri at home. I did not mention Georgia. I did not mention Alabama. I did not mention LSU. And arguably, as it stands right now, in my opinion, the two best teams on that conference schedule, Arkansas and Tennessee, both go to Columbia. As you mentioned earlier, everybody is going to have a tough conference schedule. I'm not saying South Carolina is about to roll through and go 24-0. and But in terms of manageable schedules, this is as close as it gets. Yeah, no one's schedule is easy, but that is definitely more manageable than some of the other schedules that we're going to be discussing. So that definitely plays into where South Carolina is going to finish as well. Yeah. And we'll see what Vodder can do. 
I mean, obviously we've watched her against SEC teams in the past. She's darn good. How does that look when she's doing it twice in a weekend? Like eight times? We'll right. see. And yeah, how does how does she do, which we've seen at Stanford, but you know, this past year, how does she do with Najee Candidate not being, mm. you know, part of a one-two punch? How is it gonna be when it's Lana Vodder? Now, there are some other good pitchers for South Carolina. Bettenball, well. I thought was much better than I'd seen her all year, right. right of a tail end of the season last season. But Alana Vodders is your ace. Absolutely. Yeah. How how is how is she going to be able to handle that load in the SEC? And will she make an impact offensively? I mean, we know that that was something that she wanted at South Carolina to hit more. She had some moments at Stanford, but will she be the focal point offensively as well? I mean, it's a possibility. She's that good, folks. I'm okay that Alabama doesn't play them in the regular season. Can you believe that? Can you believe you're saying that? I know. I mean, imagine this time last year, we were like, oh, Donnie Goborn. Okay, she throws hard, sure. Right. And... And now here we are, where South Carolina is a legitimate threat to win the SEC. How quickly things change. Do you? I'm going to ask you right now, and I'll answer it as well. Will South Carolina be hosting a regional this year? Yeah, if they don't, it's a pretty big disappointment. All right, I think they will. So, there we go. Yeah, we're just saying it. I mean, I mean, they're. I think. I think they're hosting a regional and possibly a super. We'll see. Wow. You know who I would almost say is definitely hosting a regional this year? Tennessee. Oh, yeah. Like, like lock it up now. <laughs> Famous last words. Wow. But we'll see what Karen Weekly says when we come back. We'll transition to Rocky Top on the other side here on Softball Media Days. They don't grow corn. Welcome back. Karen Weekly is about to join us. Gray and Tom, Softball Media Days, the Out of the Box podcast. So, Tennessee, Ashley Rogers is gone. Heck of a career. Like, dealt with so much injuries. She's tough. She had her best year in her final season. Tip of the cap. Amazing. Everybody else is back. Mm. I mean, I'm looking at 93% of hits, and the only reason it's only 59% of innings is because the other 41 were Ashley Rogers. So, this is a Tennessee team that just went to the World Series, won the tournament, won the conference in the regular season, and they've got all these folks back, including probably the preseason player of the year in Kiki Malloy. No one is, I don't think anyone is going to be like a unanimous preseason championship pick when they, when they do all the different polls in the preseason, but we'll not be shocked if Tennessee is close to it. Uh, they bring back so many, so much of their really really excellent team from last year that there's no reason to not think they'll just going to be able to keep rolling yeah and you know our dear friend karen weekly who always has so many in, insightful things to say is about to talk about you know kiki malloy the legacy of ashley rogers and, and how you keep this team hungry because I, I think that that is the biggest challenge right for these national championship coaches kirby smarts talked about it nick saban has certainly talked about it on the football side how do you get people who just had so much success to stay hungry. And I, I really liked what Karen Weekly said in regards to that. Yeah, and how do you get them to do that from day one during the regular season as right. well? Because if you if you think you just have it all locked up and we just got to figure out how to get past, you know, Oklahoma or Oklahoma State or whoever it is in, in Oklahoma City, uh, there's, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be able to rise up and get you before then. Yeah. So you have to stay focused the entire season on. 
Here she is, Tennessee Lady Vols head coach, Karen Weekly, the final coach for day one of Softball Media Days. Welcome back to 2023 Softball Media Days. Craig Robertson and Tom Canterbury here. And Tom, it is time to go chat with the champs, the reigning SEC regular season champions, the Tennessee Lady Vols, the reigning SEC tournament champions, the Tennessee Lady Vols, and the reigning SEC coach of the year, Karen Weekly. Coach Weekly joining us here on the Out of the Box podcast. Coach, good to see you. We just read a lot of accolades from last season. How does all of that sound to you? Yeah, that sounds really good. Uh, sometimes I forget everything we accomplished last year. You, you just think, kind of think about the World Series because that's where you ended it. Um, but it, it'd been a long time coming, you know, we've been consistently good, but hadn't reached that pinnacle in a while. So it was certainly, um, nice to do it and a lot of fun to do it with that group of young ladies. At what point did you realize, oh, we've, we've got something here. This is a team that can do things this season. You know, I think at various points you learn things about your team. And I felt like in the fall, we had a really hungry team and, uh, I thought we were going to have deeper pitching than we had before, but you know, you're, you're never sure when you have two people come in, one to transfer one, a freshman, how things are going to pan out. Um, we got to the end of January and really right before we kicked off the season, I just saw Peyton and Carlin kick it up a notch and just take it to another level in our scrimmages. And that was one of the moments I thought, okay, I think, you know, we've got it in the circle to, to really make a nice run. Um, but then as you go along, the thing that our team hadn't really been put in a position to do was come from behind in a significant game. And when we played the Florida series and we got down early and that was a weekend where Ashley couldn't go. I think she might have started on Friday and we had to take her out in the second inning. So we were without her the whole weekend and we got down in a couple of games pretty big, like down nine to three. And and they just never gave up and they fought back for a um, couple amazing wins that weekend. And I think that's when, as a staff, we said, OK, you know, we, we think we've got the talent and now we saw the fight. Um, and that was a pretty special moment for them. Has the success that you guys had last season uh meant anything different as far as how you approach this offseason moving into next year? I think that's the challenge because we have so many returners, you know, um, everyone who started in the world series is back. Um, of course we lost Ashley Rogers um, and that's a significant loss, but I think that's what this team is, is in the process of figuring out. How do we not just try to be last year's team because we look like last year's team in so many ways? How do we understand that this year's team needs to figure out its own personality, figure out its own why, and then move forward with that? And we've been punched in the face a little bit this fall, and I think it's helped us to have those conversations and and move in the right direction. Coach, before we look at this year you've already mentioned ashley rogers a couple times so we've got to touch on her and her amazing career in knoxville when you look back at all that she went through all that she accomplished what is her legacy as a tennessee lady ball i'm just so proud of ashley for growing as a whole person and seeing that human being come out on the softball field in just the most special fullest way her senior year um, Ashley's one who is a perfectionist, 
and will beat herself up time and time and time again. And because of that, she didn't have a lot of joy playing the first four years, counting that COVID year. And she just made a decision her senior year that I'm going to choose joy. It doesn't matter what's happening with me, that I'm hurt, that sometimes I can go, sometimes I can't. I'm just going to choose to really embrace these moments with my teammates to develop relationships in a deeper way than I ever have before and just find the joy in playing with my best friends. And I'm so proud of her for committing to that and really, really going all in on that. And I think that's why she had the best season of her entire career, even though you could argue she was the most injured of her entire career. Um, So I'm just really, really proud of her for the approach she took to last year. And it had a whole lot to do with us having the success we did. I know another player that you're extremely proud of is Kiki Malloy, who had a career year last year, including maybe the longest home run I ever seen at the SEC tournament against Alabama in the semifinals. Uh, But she, she was just, um, uh, head and shoulders above uh, everybody else that was having a great year too last season. Can she take an even further step forward here in 2024? You know, of course she can, whether you see it in the numbers, um, that would be a pretty monumental feat with the kind of year she had. Uh, But Kiki's a generational talent. Uh, I don't think I'll ever coach a player that's gifted in the many, many ways that she is. Um, And before I forget, I've got to mention Kiki receiving the Torchbearer Award at the University of Tennessee, which is the highest honor given to a student. There's only a handful of students that are named Torchbearers every year. It has nothing to do with being an athlete. And that just speaks to who Kiki is. Her leadership, not just on our team, but in the campus community, her academic achievement. She is the the total package. And... um, what how she has developed as a leader on our team has been really cool to watch. Uh, Kiki's a fiery player. She's no nonsense. She's straight to the point. And sometimes um, her teammates don't really know how to receive that. Um, she's all about winning, but you know she's gonna she's gonna get in your face if she needs to. And she has learned how to be herself, but still understand her teammates, understand where they're coming from, and be an even better leader for everyone on the team. Gotcha. I wanted to tell you the story. It, it came in an Alabama loss, so we don't have the opportunity really to use it as a highlight. But the her home run in the semifinals, it bounced. I don't know. You probably didn't see it from where you were, but it bounced on the parking lot up there where all the ESPN tents were, and it rolled past a guy who's coming out of the tent, and he just watches it roll through the doorway into the tent. And, you know, Gray and I were upset about the home run, but even at some point we we're just like, that was just amazing. And we were I think we both burst out laughing when, that, <laughs> when we saw it. That's all you can do with some of the things Kiki Malloy is able to do on a softball field. Um, it is, uh, you know, there's so many times this fall I've marveled at something she's done, whether it's been at the plate, um, leading a team to victory in some, you know, contests we're having, watching her make some spectacular play in the outfield. And I just think, dang, I'm going to cherish every single second of this because this it's only one more year. 
And coach, as you talked about, you've got pretty much everybody else coming back. Also, 93% of your hits from a season ago from a team that won the SEC and the tournament are returning. Zeta Pooney, McKenna Gibson, Riley West, Mackenzie Donahue, the list goes on. What have you seen from those players this fall as they get ready to try and do it again this year? Well, I've seen a definite commitment to, man, we got so close. You know, we got a taste. I mean, we got to the World Series. We know what that feels like, what that tastes like. But we were so close to the national championship and being able to play for that. So you definitely see that hunger. Um, and and I, I think they they don't want anything other than being back there to compete for that. Um, I'm also seeing um, just what you expect out of veterans, just that experience factor that lends a calmness to everybody. Um, I'm seeing really good leadership out of several of those players you mentioned. Um, and, you know, knock on wood, the whole key to anything is staying healthy. I mean, even last year, we had a couple significant players um, go out with season ending injuries. So we've had some people that haven't been able to go full this fall because of some off season um, surgeries and whatnot. But, you know, fingers crossed, we get everybody back healthy by February 1st and, and we can make another run. Last year, you saw several players that we just mentioned have significant jumps in their batting average and power numbers, and that coincided with Chris Malvo coming in. Uh, what was it that he was able to unlock with players like Pooney and Gibson? You know, I think the first year with Chris um, is a learning curve for anybody because um, his system is it, it's, it's really pretty amazing but it takes a while to get comfortable in it. Um, it's very mechanics-based, um, really, really sound. I think it's phenomenal, but it's going to take any hitter a while just to get comfortable. And then what I saw last year was so many of those hitters, um, because they were comfortable in their mechanics, now they could really lock in on their approach and developing a better plan at the plate and better pitch selection. Um, and he's phenomenal at, at coaching that as well. And so you just saw them be able to sort of go to that next step with their offensive game. Um, a player that, you know, I just hope she stays healthy because that's the only reason she hasn't made All-American is Zeta Pooney. Um, Zeta played most of last year with a tear in her shoulder. And mm -hmm. she just gritted her teeth and, and, you know, did the best she could. And she turned it on in such a big way in the postseason. Uh, that's what Zeta can be every day uh, when she's pain-free and healthy and, we're, we're hoping she'll be there this year. You couldn't tell watching her no. play. I know. I know. That's crazy. Uh, Tennessee head coach Karen Weekly joining us here for Softball Media Days. Coach, as we move to the circle, we've talked about Ashley Rogers. She's gone. You mentioned Peyton Gottschall and Carlin Pickens really stepping up and proving some things to you last year. But now without Rogers, how are they adjusting to the fact that it is truly going to be them leading the charge this year in the circle? Yeah, you know, last year, um, like I said, in the fall, I really felt like we were going to use a whole lot more pitchers than we ended up using. Um, I really didn't see Peyton and Carlin take that step until right before we started spring. And even then, I mean, I don't think any coach goes into a season thinking they're going to hand a different person the ball on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and get as many complete games as we did. Um we, we just were very fortunate in that respect that that happened. On the flip side, I felt like we had some young ladies on our uh, pitching staff that didn't get the innings that they otherwise would have. And, and they have very capable 
um, arms. So Ashley's gone. And the key is, you know, where do we, how do we divide and find those 144 innings she threw with a sub one ERA, you know? Um, and I think we have the people who can do it. We don't have a big pitching staff, probably one of the smaller ones. We have four, but we have two that, you know, kind of proved themselves last year in Peyton and Carlin. I think Charlie Orsini has some really good stuff. And uh, I think Riley White is somebody who's just um, worked her tail off. She's a senior now and she um, somebody who just knows how to grind and knows how to compete. And, you know, I don't think those innings are going to fall on any one or two people's shoulders. I think they're going to be spread throughout the staff. And we, yeah, you even though you do have so many returners here coming back, you were able to add a couple people from the transfer portal. Um, how do they kind of fit in when you have so much of your core coming back? They have fit in tremendously well, and we really needed to create depth at the catcher position. Uh, last year, due to various circumstances, we found ourselves um, needing to convert somebody to catcher. And I think Julia Kutsoinopoulos, heck, I could make a great argument for her being our MVP, because if she doesn't embrace and do what she did behind the plate, we're not the team that we were. Uh, but we needed to find some help. So fortunately, um, we got the the person that we really, really wanted once her name popped up in the portal, and that was Sophia Nugent. We recruited her heavily out of high school, um, just always really liked Sophia, liked her personality, knew she'd fit in really well with the Lady Balls. And uh, not only is she a really good catcher, but she can swing a big bat. We also saw uh, Laura Miller from Middle Tennessee in Tuscaloosa in, the, in that regional uh, last year. And you could really tell how she was the the kind of the heart and soul of that team uh, had a big personality to go along with, uh, with the big numbers she put up. How is she kind of meshed in with everybody? She's doing great. And like you saw down there for that regional um, she's not afraid of anything. Uh, she lives for those big moments. Uh, just the ultimate competitor. She's going to find a way to get it done. Um, some of the plays she makes like that might not be technically Perfect, but she figures out, you know, how to make a play, how to get the barrel to the ball. Um, she's hit some balls this fall with some some pretty high exit below. Um, and for for somebody who's, you know, she's not a big girl, but she's got a lot of whip in that body. And she's definitely going to help us. I also wanted to, you know, add some middle infield depth, and she's going to help us there. And then we have three freshmen. Um, might be collectively the highest IQ class we've ever had when you put them all together. The Leach twins, you know, now we've we've had Aubrey Leach in the Lady Ball program, Kelsey Leach, and now Alana and Gabby. So uh, I consider myself very blessed to have been able to coach all four Leaches. And then Bella Faw, a uh, middle infielder out of Georgia, out of the Atlanta area, she may very well end up being the best defensive middle infielder we've had at Tennessee. And that that's saying a lot. That's really high praise. And coach, I wanted to spin it back to your Sophia Nugent comment for just a moment. Because of the way that the portal is nowadays, do you basically have to keep files on everybody that you've ever recruited in the modern day just in case they pop back up in? You know, it's it's a smart thing to do. Uh, <laughs> you never know. You just never know. And, you know, sometimes I hear these horror stories about when kids um, commit to a school and have to make the calls to the other schools to tell them no and a coach gives them a hard time and I'm just thinking man why would you ever burn a bridge you know or make a kid feel bad because like with Sophia it came down to us in Oklahoma uh, when she was in the ninth grade 
And she didn't even make a visit here. I mean, she had made her visit in the ninth grade. So when she came, popped up in the portal, we got on the phone, we talked for, you know, several days and she said, coach, I don't need to visit. Uh, I, I remember what it was like. I remember how much I loved it. Um, I know what you stand for and what your program's all about. And, and the next thing we knew she was ours. That's perfect. Karen Weekly joining us here on Softball Media Days. And coach, now we get into the more philosophical discussions about the sport. We always love to pick your brain about these because you've seen it all through the years. And I want to start with the rule changes because it was another rule change year. Pitching rules have changed. Obstruction has been quote unquote clarified. Replay has shifted a little bit. They've added some things to the list. The pitch clock is something a lot of coaches have brought up a visible pitch clock that everybody can see. Generally speaking, how do you feel about the rule changes that you've seen and which ones really excite you? I'm in favor of all the ones that I've seen. Um, there's a couple I wish we'd gone just a step further. I love the pitch clock. I think it's such a clean way of knowing you know, how much time we're taking between pitches, um, but we're still trying to count the first 10 seconds and the second 10 seconds. And I'm like, who cares? You know, the ball gets back to the pitcher, straight 20. Doesn't matter when the batter gets in the box, when the pitcher gets on the pitching rubber. Um, so, you know, hopefully we'll clean some of that up or, you know, maybe it won't even create a problem. Maybe it'll work seamlessly. But I think when you ask an umpire to count to 10 while they're doing everything else they're doing, it's just never going to happen. Um, I love the... Um, electronic communication that we can now use a digital device to, to put our signals in. What I don't like is when they decided to pass it, they passed it only for defensive purposes. So now you still have to use your card system or the old fashioned signal system for offense, which makes no sense to me. So hopefully we'll get to a point where, you know, we can use a um, Apple watch looking kind of thing, you know, for, for every phase of the game, offense and defense. Coach, the last few times that we've uh, discussed, you know, we talked with you, we've discussed all the realignment that's happening and including what's happening in the SEC. But now we're seeing it just nationally, you know, the back 12 after this year is pretty much going to be ceased to exist. We saw a lot of mid-major conferences kind of change their uh, their uh, membership. What and But with all these changes, they are based on what's good for football and what's good for men's basketball secondy and then everybody else is just kind of well we're gonna just have to deal with it uh what do, what kind of effect do you think that all this realignment is going to have on sports like softball well it's not good for any sport not just softball and when greed and money get involved and you know to to an extreme um things are going to implode eventually and i don't like what i'm seeing happen um, I know a lot of people say, well, the SEC started it. Um, heck, I don't know. I mean, 16 teams doesn't seem like too many. But for somebody who was born and raised just outside Seattle, Washington, and spent the first 30 years of my life there and grew up in the backyard of UW Huskies, um, it's pretty sad to see the Pac-12 go to nothing. I mean, I watched it when it was the Pac-8, then it was the Pac-10, then it was the Pac-12. You know, one of the... Um, most powerful conferences in the country and really back in the early days of softball, the leaders in women's college softball. So I think that's a sad thing to see. And I don't know where the end is for this, but I don't think it's going to be good. Yeah. I was going to ask, is there a fix or are we too far gone? I mean, it seems like at this point, the snowball's going down the hill and now we just have to hope in a way that 
that sports like softball and soccer aren't affected in the immediate. If I knew what the fix was <laughs> and, and yeah. can get a lot, well, I think we all probably know what it is. It's just getting people to buy into it because mm. it's just all about the almighty dollar. Um, and it's so unfortunate because you're exactly right. All of these decisions were made due to TV contracts for football. And do those contracts help us? Absolutely. I mean, in, in the SEC, we benefit, all of our sports benefit from the contract. But if we don't have people to play outside of conference and, and we you know can't have some kind of regional loyalty, I guess, to teams and to conferences, um, I think that's why fans love college sports and why they've shied away from professional sports because they didn't see in the professional sports the loyalty to a school or a team or a region or a conference. And that always existed in college sports and, and now it's going away. Excellent points from Tennessee Lady Ball head coach, Karen Weekly. And coach, I want to shift over to another potential story in the maybe near future, I don't know, in the SEC. And that's a neutral site SEC softball tournament. There have been some rumblings in the past few years. I'm not sure if it's picking up steam, but we've talked about it with all the coaches thus far. And I want to hear your opinion. Is that something you're in favor of or too soon to tell? I kind of like the idea of a neutral site. Um, we had a neutral site when we first got in this league. It wasn't great. Um, but I remember when I was um, a coach at UT Chattanooga, and the SEC used Frost Stadium in Chattanooga back in the day. Now, I don't know why or how that became a not viable option, but that was that was the deal when, when we coached down there. Um, the problem is there just aren't too many facilities that are going to be large enough, um, have the amenities that, you know, we feel like we need and we deserve for where our sport has grown. And one of the byproducts of hosting is typically the hosting institution gets some pretty significant improvements in that year leading up to hosting. So it has helped people be able to upgrade their stadiums and, and get their uh, athletic departments a little more motivated to do that. Uh, but I still kind of like the idea of a neutral site where you can sort of build what they built in Hoover, um, knowing they're going to come back there every year and you can get that community involvement and community sponsorship. And I think we could raise this to even greater heights if we could build something like that. Well, one of the things of, of talking about building and facilities is we've seen so much at the Women's College World Series, they put on almost the new upper deck almost every year and they sell it out and they could put five more on there and sell them all out there too. Uh, we saw in Hoover, as you mentioned, that the World Games, uh, 10,000 people for the, uh, the championship there. Um, we've seen... Uh, Nebraska volleyball, women's volleyball sell out their football stadium, women's basketball at Iowa, the same. Um, do you think when we've we've seen such support for women's sports in those situations that that might lead to the decision makers when they're talking about facilities, um, thinking we can go a little bit bigger and better uh, moving forward? I would hope so. And, you know, listening to what you just described, you got to ask yourself, why don't we have some neutral site facilities, at least one or two in different locations within, you know, the eastern part of the country to host an event like that? Because every time softball does put on something, it is packed, absolutely packed. But I think, again, a lot of this goes back to um, TV 
And, you know, you guys should probably do an episode on this one day, but why doesn't softball have a standalone TV contract? You know, that that's the question I've asked for years. We're lumped in with a bunch of other sports and the NCAA negotiated the contract and kind of threw us in with a mix. When I think we have the following and the support and the popularity to have a standalone TV contract. And if you do that and you generate those kinds of dollars, then you can do some of the things you're talking about. Yeah, I think the the site that we've discussed together, we've talked about it with a few other coaches. Heck, we we had a nice 10-minute rant with Michelle Smith about it last year that would make a ton of sense is Nashville. Just find somewhere in somewhere in the giant city that is Nashville to build some kind of facility that could host big time sec softball or just big time softball in general absolutely and you know last week i was down at the georgia state high school tournament uh, and they have that every year in columbus where the 1996 olympic games were played and they have a stadium there that is pretty big you just need to do some things around it to make it the kind of event that the sec deserves um, and, and I, I just, again, I don't know the answer as to why we can't build something in Nashville or we can't take what's already existing in Columbus, um, and, and make it bigger and better and, and a permanent home. It's kind of the same situation. You know, we, we discuss, and some of us complain about Oklahoma having the home field advantage at the women's college world series. But the problem is there are no other facilities that would be capable right now of hosting it. Uh, but you would think maybe there'd be a billionaire entre- entrepreneur that might want to build three or four, you know, one out in California, one in Florida, and then we, we can rotate it around. But the facilities have people, somebody has to make the commitment to build those facilities. Yeah. And, you know, unless you're ASA and you're running all those operations, it's not going to be a moneymaker. So I think you nailed it. You got to have somebody who um, falls into billions and has a couple of young daughters that are in love with softball. And that, that's where they decide to spend their money. Or maybe one day, you know, somebody will get lucky with the the Mega Millions and, you know, mm-hmm. put it towards the facility that we're desperately seeking. Karen Weekly <laughs> joining us here for Softball Media Days. Coach, it's time for the fun questions. We always like to close with a couple more lighthearted stuff. And uh, I, I want to start with something that we're going to do on this show very, very soon. It'll be the all-time SEC pitcher draft. So myself, Tom, a couple guests, we're going to put together staffs that can consist of any pitcher who played in this conference from its inception in 1997 to the present day. It's a lot of options. You've seen a lot of people over the years while at Tennessee. I'm going to go ahead and put your mind at ease. No matter who's picking, Monica Abbott will be the number one overall pick. (laughs) But besides her, who around this conference that you've coached against or seen up close should be on the draft board? I'll tell you, I always thought Stacy Nelson was phenomenal, you know, and it was probably just so frustrating to try and game plan against her because you're thinking she's throwing one pitch for the most part. I mean, she had other, but she threw probably 80% one pitch, but talk about somebody who mastered their craft at such a high level. So I'd have to go with her. Um, Well, this is tough because I've got 22 years so I'm probably going to miss a few people. Um, you know, I don't know how you could not pick Jackie Traina, um, just taking her team to a national championship, uh, just kind of putting them on her back. 
and doing that. Um, how many do I get? As many uh, as you want. You can yeah, just, just, just a few off the head. Don't, don't worry about missing anybody. We're, we're just trying to make sure that we don't, that we don't miss somebody off of our draft board that once we're finished drafting, like, Oh my God, I can't believe we didn't pick blank. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you, you know, she's one of mine, but man, what a phenomenal pitcher, Ellen Renfro. You know, a lot of young ladies come into college saying they throw six or seven pitches when they really throw about three. Um, she literally threw seven different pitches and could execute seven, di seven different pitches. Um, and she was a lot of fun to coach because she knew how to pitch. She, she was never just a thrower. So I, I would have to, and she was a competitor too. I'd have to put her on there. Coach, you'll appreciate that you are not the first person to bring her up. She has been mentioned a couple times mm -hmm. throughout the weeks that we've been recording. Yeah, yeah, she she was pretty special. Oh, I'm kind of running out. I mean, there's so many more. There's oh, so yeah. many. Who, uh, when when you were game planning or dealing with uh, trying to face one of the really elite pitchers that are going to, we're going to be talking about what kind of made it tough to face somebody. Is it somebody that, you know, was able to change speeds? It was some, you know, what, what were some of the characteristics of some of those elite pitchers? Well, uh, I'd be remiss by the way. How do we not put Montana Fouts on there? Like, duh. Okay. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, like when you take a, a Fouts, um, doesn't do a ton of different things. But what she does, she does really, 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 really well, really well to throw with that kind of velo, to be able to locate the way she did. Um, and, you know, each year she got better at something, you know, she might have never developed that killer change up, but, you know, she didn't have as as good of a rise ball early on in her career. And then that thing really took off. Um, so I think when you're game planning against people. Um, like I said, you, you have the Stacy Nelson's who, okay, you know, you're going to get this screwball that's going to kind of drop on you as well. Um, but you're still, you, you're never squaring it up. It doesn't matter. Like, you know, it's coming and it doesn't matter. And then you get an Ellen Renfro who can throw a bunch of different things at you and a bunch of different speeds. Um, Chelsea Wilkerson, Wilkinson's another one who, you know, three speeds and all were super effective. Um, so I, I don't think there's one answer to that. Um, if you can master one or two things and be elite, 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 you're going to be tough. That's gotta be the most frustrating thing as a hitter when you know, what's, what's coming and you just can't, can't hit it. <laughs> Absolutely. And you know, some, some days those pitchers, they're just on with everything and you just got to tip your hat. Well, coach, you know, my question is going to have something to do with food. Um, and so, uh, you know, a couple of uh, months ago when the Masters was happening, we were discussing uh, the Masters dinner where the champion gets to pick what the menu is going to be at that champion's dinner the next year. Uh, if you, Karen Weekly, were the Masters champion and you got to pick a Masters dinner uh, menu, what would you put on it? Hmm. Well, you guys ask good questions. <laughs> <laughs> this is our area of expertise. Right? <laughs> food, huh? Yeah. Yes, that's what we do. So, I, well, uh, softball, yeah, yeah. Food is the most important, okay. I guess. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm I'm probably gonna give you an answer that nobody else does, but again, it goes back to where I was raised. Um, there's gonna be some really good fresh salmon. Uh there's gonna be some steamed clams, 
with a, a lot of melted butter. That'll probably be a nice appetizer. Um, it's going to be a really good salad, maybe a Caesar. Um, some kind of potato, maybe like a twice baked potato or something like that. Then maybe some uh, green beans that are, you know, steamed, but then fried up a little, just a little bit with some bacon grease, get a little flavor, get a little mm -hmm. taste of the South in the meal. Mm -hmm. um, yes, ma'am. We'll probably, we'll probably top it all off with two desserts, Litton's orange cake. Can't beat the orange cake here in Knoxville and creme brulee. Amazing. Thanks. And I was going to say, thank you for the Litton's tip, which we did greatly <laughs> enjoy last year in Knoxville. That place yeah, is awesome. Uh, and hey, I don't know if you know this, but uh, the Locos, that group of people that dress up in costume and cheer for us, Kelly Litton is one of the Locos. Oh. Kelly Litton. Wow. Yes. So does that mean orange cake at the office whenever you want or on uh, game days? How does that work? We have a lot of orange cake. <laughs> yep. I don't do a lot of things orange, but I will do that orange cake. I promise you that. That was excellent stuff. <laughs> hey, people who tell me I don't like cake, they take one bite and they're like, uh, I like this cake. <laughs> well, we yeah. might have to have a discussion about people that don't like cake, but maybe that's yeah, for another time. <laughs> Tennessee head coach Karen Weekly joining us here for Softball Media Days. Coach, thank you so much for doing this every year with us. You're awesome. And I can't wait to see you all later on this year. The season's just around the corner. It is. And thanks for all you guys do. Karen Weekly, thank you so much for joining us, Coach. A little love and respect for Montana Founts. We always love that mm -hmm. at the tail end. This is a Tennessee team that that has a good problem, which is how do you create a lineup with so many people? And Sophia Nugent is apparently just shredded all fall. And Laura Mueller is going to have chances as well. Uh, you know, they've got everyone else back. I mean, the schedule is not simple. But this is a Tennessee team that I think has certain series starred. Obviously, the road trip to South Carolina that we discussed will be huge. A road trip to Alabama is going to be massive for Tennessee. And then you could discuss a little trappiness with Tennessee going to Auburn right after going to South Carolina and right before facing Georgia at home. That That's an interesting little spot to play, you know, the reigning SEC Pitcher of the Year in Matty Pinta. Yeah, Matty Pinta is going to have something for Tennessee uh, during that weekend. So that's, yeah, that, that's that may be the toughest stretch. If they if Tennessee can get through that uh, nine-game stretch with six or seven wins, mm. I think they're they're in really good shape. Yeah, you could almost start right. chiseling yeah. on the trophy then. You, you could start definitely start writing in pencil for sure. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, there there's... Like I said, you'll have to find a way to keep everyone motivated all season long if you're Tennessee in that situation, which I don't think that's going to be a problem. Karen Wiggly's going to get that done. But... Especially with Kiki Malloy leading oh, yeah. the charge. Absolutely. All right, that's it for day one. When we come back, we'll wrap up this first day of Softball Media Days and look at day two because, you know, we have four new teams, including a non-SEC team that we'll discuss. There we go. Sounds yeah. Good. All right. Come back for the conclusion. That's on the other side here on the Out of the Box Podcast. Welcome back. Softball Media Days, day one. Our thanks to Rachel Lawson, Bev Smith, Karen Weekly, our dear friends joining us. You know, I, I have to say, and we've discussed this many times, 
it is like talking to old friends. And, you know, we saw Karen weekly and we caught up about the football season. And when we recorded Alabama and Tennessee, where it was a right around that time when they were playing in football, Bev Smith. I mean, I feel like every time we chat with her, she's somewhere different. And so we have a, a nice chat about that. And then Rachel Lawson, I mean, shoot, it ends up being a 50 minute zoom every time, even if the interview comes out to about 30. Yeah. Yeah. Talking with them, and as you mentioned, talking a lot of times, the SIDs will jump on with us. Too. Oh, yeah. yeah. Shout out Chris Scholes. Yeah. Uh, always one of our first responses when mm -hmm. those emails go out. But uh, yeah, it's it's great to talk with everybody. And I'm, I'm, again, as always, so appreciative of all the coaches being as forthcoming as they are. And, you know, like you said, we, we ended up talking 10 or 15 minutes sometimes before and after the interview with them just catching up. So uh, it, it's been really, really cool getting to know all these, these coaches on a more personal level. And the fun goes on. Yes. Day two coming up on December 1st. That is Friday. If you're listening and it's like January, then, you know, it's all there. It, it's the next one. If you have able, if you are able to binge all of softball media days, mm. you've had, especially a... this year. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> the... The timestamps I put in the Google Doc <laughs> are just wild. The Snyder cut is is very long. Oh my gosh! Even even Snyder is like boys. Cut it down. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Excessive. Anyway, we've got Arkansas, Missouri, Mississippi State, and Northwestern State. Why are those four together? We'll talk about it when we start day two. But I mean, you're going to learn a lot, and I think that you've got four really insightful coaches who provide a lot of information about various different things. That's a very generic statement, but it's true. I mean, Courtney Dyfel, Larissa Anderson, Samantha Ricketts, who's always a blast. And then our dear friend and Alabama alum, Lacey Prejean, who was just an absolute hit when we chatted with her. Absolutely. And I think one of the interesting things is when we put these together, a lot of times, like in what we're going to see in day two, we're going to talking with four teams that are in four pretty different spots. Yeah. Uh, but you can see how there's a lot of similarities and there's also the differences on how coaches are approaching their teams considering where they are. And that'll be day two. There you go. We'll see you then. Join us then. Yes. And Tom, if the people want to join you on Twitter now, mm. right now, at this moment, yes, no hesitation. None. How do they do it? T Canterbury RTR on the Twitter. And, ho and hopefully Coach Dean is probably not looking right now because there's some anti-Auburn stuff happening. What? I, I know. Wait, from you? <laughs> I know it was shocking. Stunned. <laughs> Just shocked and stunned and shocked. <laughs> Let me clutch my pearls. Mm -hmm. At Gray, G-R-A-Y underscore Robertson. That's me. On my Twitter, naturally. Tom just read his, so who else would it be? Mm -hmm. And then also the show, at Out of the Box underscore pod. Leave a review, star, etc. Let us know how you're feeling. Hit us up. It's fine. Tell us tell us your master's menu. You know what? Yeah. Tell us what you're going to eat. Mm -hmm. And then maybe we'll cook it up. I Look, there is a food show that is coming. We couldn't get it done this year. That's partially my bad. Also partially like a bizarrely weird fall and winter yes. at Alabama for, for many reasons. Schedules no one communicated whatsoever. So... <laughs> People adding games yeah. just out of nowhere. We'll do that in 2024. And you know what? Listener feedback and recommendations and responses to what you would order are always welcome. 100%. That'll wrap up day one of 2023 Softball Media Days. We're just getting started. Remember, day two, we'll have Arkansas, Missouri, Mississippi State, and Northwestern State. That will drop, as the kids say. My single, my single is dropping, is dropping. Uh, the podcast 
is dropping Friday, December 1st. That's a 30 Rock joke. Skirt. <laughs> Ham. <laughs> we certainly hope you will continue along, especially after that exchange. Uh, as we go Why through. Why wouldn't you? I mean, how could you hold back? <laughs> uh, as we continue with Softball Media Days <laughs> before the 2024 college softball season. Until then, as I wipe the tears from my eyes, that's my partner, Tom Canterbury, who probably is ready to get out of this room. I'm Greg Robertson. I'm already leaving. We'll see you next time on the Out of the Box Podcast. <laughs>